here we go. Welcome to Maitre D Diaries. I'm your host, Erica Cantley. It's Monday in late July, and we are so fortunate to have Maddie Maldonado joining us. Maddie was introduced to me by our mutual friend, food writer and all-around amazing human being, Andrea Strong. Kind of wish she was here for our chat today, but she's here in spirit. Welcome, Maddie. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. So happy to have you, and you're more than most welcome. So Maddie is the beverage director at Mercado Little Spain, which is at Hudson Yards, and is often described as Jose Andres's love letter to Spain. Does that sum it up right? Yes, it does. It's a 35,000 square foot Spanish food extravaganza. I guess it's the best way for those who aren't 100% familiar with it. Four restaurants, three bars, and a bunch of kiosks or food stalls interspersed in between all of that. Mm. Yes, and it's really, since it's opened, it's really enlivened that whole area and made it quite a destination for people who are interested in food and wine and dining and learning about the products and the traditions of Spain. Yes, exactly. All right. So Maddie, before we launch into what you're up to right now, I'd like to go back for a second and find out, did hospitality play some kind of a role in your childhood or upbringing? And what might that be? Yeah. So I'm born and raised here, actually, in in Hoboken, New Jersey. Both my parents are from the Dominican Republic. And my mom actually was, she, my grandmother came to the country, to the States first. And my mom was left to take care of seven or eight brothers and sisters at a very young age. So by whatever virtue that is, she became quite the chef and culinarian, very much a purist growing up. Everything was lots of produce. We didn't have jar baby food. She would puree all of our vegetables. And I think for me, that sense of food and warmth and love into it, I think definitely scoped my sense of understanding of the kitchen. Because of this, obviously, a lot of the holidays and some of the celebrations were hosted in our home. And I was always the one between my sister and myself who was really into helping her out more and following her around to get the table set and all of that stuff. So I want to say, I think from that point is really where the curiosity and wonder started for me. Mm, Nice. I actually wanted to go become a chef. That was actually how I wanted to get into this business. And the day I broke that news to my mom, she was like, absolutely not. There's no (laughs) way your dad and I came to this country with the struggle, the immigrant story. You know, you're going to find a good desk job and retire from it and all these other things. You're not, we did not do this for you to be cooped up in some kitchen cooking all day. So it's so funny. Here I I am. We hear that a lot. We hear that story a lot now that we're lucky enough to have so many podcasts and interviews with different people in the industry and people who did end up going to be chefs that their family said, no, don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So here I am. I always say, if you can't get in through the front door, you find a way to get into the back door sometimes in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then that's a great launching off point. How did you get into the business? Yeah, my first job was at a catering storefront in Hoboken, New Jersey, where I grew up. I was attending a private school in Jersey City, and we would take public transportation in our first three years until I was able to have a license and a car and drive. And there was a storefront that one of my, I guess, bus riding companions, because it was like a group of us, we didn't carpool, but I guess we bus pulled. Uh-huh. We all kind of met at a central location. 
And she had applied for this job at this place called The Secret Ingredient. It's no longer there. I think I was the summer that I was turning 16. And I was like, hey, I think I want to do this. This seems pretty cool. So the owner used to work in fashion. He took Mm. the space over from some friends who started it. They weren't, I don't know if they weren't sure what to do with the vision. He took over the space. And I just remember being in high school before I went off to college and coming into the city and during fashion week, delivering meals with him for all the fashion people and the shows and learning quite a bit, catering in really these lavish homes that you just go, oh my goodness, I want to do this when I grow up one day. Wow. I want to live like this, old brownstones, antique homes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that was the start. So that's how you got the bug. Yeah, that's how I got the bug. And like I said, he took me under his wing. I was a sponge. So I was at the feet and just learning and curious about preparation and what he was doing. And I think that's really where I really was like, this is great. This is what I want to do. Mm. So how long did you stay in that position? And then what came next? Yeah, believe it or not, I went off to college. I did not finish. I came back and was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Again, still in this mindset, very old school of got to fight, get a degree in something very traditional and figure out what I'm going to do. So I came back home, trying to take a break, focus on what I want to do. At this point, unfortunately, the business had already shut down. I think they were open for about 10 years. And there was another place around the corner from there that had opened. A former colleague of mine introduced myself and the owner was like, Maddie would be a great asset to help you with events and stuff. So it's called Anthony Davids. It's still there. He's got to actually now three restaurants, I think in total, one being a wine bar that I made a journey. It's also part of my journey as well. During the holiday season, he had, he was super busy with business. He had about, it was a Saturday where he had, I don't know, like a gazillion parties. One of them, he was dropping me off to giving me instructions as he's driving. I'm super nervous. And he's like, these are new clients. They're here. We would do tons of business with them. It's a small dinner party, blah, blah, blah. So I go to their home. They have a home along the Hudson River overlooking the city thousand bottle wine cellar in their apartment. They had two units pre-construction, knocked the wall down and created this gorgeous apartment with bespoke details, small dinner party. I was nervous. I was all of maybe 20, 21. And I leave the event the next day he calls and he's like, how did you think the event went? And I was like, I hope well. And he's like, they absolutely love you. They want you to be their point person moving forward. And then from that point on is how wine made its way in because he was a collector and I started to taste and he exposed me to a lot of nuances. And yeah, so that was the wine book. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. And that's, I think, such an illustration for our listeners of how, you know, the path is not a straight path and it's not something that you can necessarily say, I'm going to do this and then this. I think it's very valuable to hear everybody's stories. That's why we're doing the podcast because you get to find out how very organic these things are and stay open to the possibilities and just get started. And who knows? Yeah, you never know. You never know. What is it that they say? I think it was Steve Jobs that said in one of his commencement speech, and I believe in this wholeheartedly, that you have to live through that experience to connect the dots and say, wow, now I understand why I was placed there at this moment with this person and all those things. Exactly. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. So then you got into wine, you learned from that person, but also then you started your own studying? Yeah. So learning from him, and I just remember the first time he poured me two Pinot Noir side by side and had me taste something from California and something from Burgundy. And I remember tasting the Burgundy one and going, oh my God, this is great. And he's like, at a girl. Like he was just 
proud that I was like, I guess he thought my palate was sophisticated because I preferred a burgundy over California. And in the moment I didn't realize that's what I had. So I was just like, this is so cool. Started buying wine and reading books and just, again, a sponge. Mm -hmm. And then I, at that point, was bartending and serving and doing a really still in the business on the front of house setting in that way. And then I went to WSET to get certified. Mm -hmm. And I think from that point on is when I started to make the decisions. That was the next point of, okay, I have this. Now what do I do with it? Yeah. So, yeah. So question, you talked about the initial exposure to the fashion world in New York through the catering. Is there a particular dining experience that you had as a guest that you remember being impactful or inspiring to you as far as how you like to show up in service or what kind of a place you'd like to work? That's actually a really great question. I think it's a sum of several. So believe it or not, nothing is an accident. We weren't that far from, my dad worked in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and right next door in Newark, a lot of his colleagues were from Portugal and Spain, because there's that little enclave called the Ironbound, that is all like kind of Spanish and Portuguese restaurants. And so at a young age, I remember like during the special occasions, our parents would take my sister and myself out to dine. And we were going to Spanish restaurants, going to these old school Spanish restaurants in New Jersey. From then, I think I remember one of the restaurants where I had a, aside from just like the catering and being, you know, drinking wine from collectors, that one being the first time, and a few others along the way, there was a place in the city called Mercat that was a tapas, I think it was like, I think it was like a Catalan inspired tapas place where mm-hmm. I had a priorat there. And I remember just going, oh my God, this is fantastic. This is the wine I want to be talking about and selling. And yeah. Mm. That's so cool. I love yeah. it. Do you have any kind of service pet peeves? A lot of what we talk about um, on the podcast is kind of what's happening in the dining room. And so as kind of beverage director and, you know, psalm or whatever role you might be playing or played in the past, um, what do you, what's most important to you as far as that immediate at the table, at the bar interaction between the person who's providing the beverage and the service yeah. of it and the guest? I would say, I think people underestimate the visual component with wine. I can't mm. say cocktail because cocktails are, and I see cocktail culture a lot like back of house and culinary, where it's the presentation, the plating, the garnish. There's a lot of similarities, but with wine, I think people don't realize the visual component. I say the visual component because I think it's super important to, even if it's a glass of wine, perhaps as much pouring table side as possible. You know, I know sometimes here ourselves, we struggle. It's something I'm working through at each venue. I've started one venue at a time of pouring a glass table side. There's something to be said. I think that wine tastes differently when a glass is placed in front of you, you get a taste and you're able to see the label and the bottle. And I, I don't know, I, I think it really does change the taste and the experience of what you're drinking. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I agree. I would say that and not being asked if you want another drink. <laughs> yes. So what are some other phrases that you've come up with to ascertain if somebody wants more. Yeah. I think it's always to me, sometimes the diner, just as sometimes we, as the people working the floor get overwhelmed because it's not just one table at a time or one guest, it's several tables in a section. And that one table has, you know, large parties, small parties. 
I think that the guest is having the same experience, especially if it's their first time. So sometimes even if you just remove the glass and you're just like, you know, I see this glass is empty. May I refill that? May I get this out of your way? And sometimes when you get out of their way, they realize, oh, no, I want to keep drinking. Can I, can I look at a book menu? Can you make another recommendation? I think to me, it's just kind of focusing on table maintenance, those mm. little details that even if they're not paying attention, that tell the diner to, you know, oh, something's being removed or then what's the next step here? Right. Because I mean, whether it's wine or, you know, cocktails to say to someone, do you want another martini kind of feels like. Right. I mean, some people might. And then one time it was so funny. We were at kind of a friends and family event for a restaurant that was opening and you know that it's friends and family. So of course we understand they're working the kinks out, but it was really funny because they were pouring a white and a red. And at one point the server came over and asked my boyfriend, would you like a third glass of wine? Oh, who's counting? (laughs) (laughs) We're both in the industry and we were just like, sure, let's go for it. (laughs) Right, right. Right, because at that point, you either have the, oh my God, okay, great, this night is, I'm going for third, or you just go, oh my goodness, I really should not be drinking that third class. Right, (laughs) exactly, and somebody is counting. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit about what your job as beverage director entails, because that is such a huge operation. What's your day and life like? Yeah, so... I will kind of, because I'm, unfortunately, I'm a person who I need to taste and see everything. I love being on the floor. I do. You know, I, I think that there's, to me, how the team reacts to, especially if it's something new that I've, I've introduced, whether it's a cocktail, whether it's, you know, a new wine by the glass, I always like to hear and see how people react to it. But the day-to-day is ordering, you know, financial analysis, you know, keeping on top of glassware bar operations, you know, making sure that the management is overseeing the bar operations the day in and day out, monthly inventory, entering of this inventory, staying on top of my cost of goods, connecting, being a liaison with the marketing team and setting up any, you know, wine-driven events, coming up with new ideas, new cocktails, RD, yeah, tasting, uh, education, training. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. All the, all the liquid, all the and liquid. So do you have a, a schedule where you kind of map out 20 minutes or half an hour or an hour to do this or that? Or are you constantly in a situation where you just have to respond to, you know, what's necessary in the moment? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? I think this is the conversation I love that you and I had, that it's, you know, you have to, as much behind the scenes as possible, really work out every detail, kind of have it as much of it as planned or organized, I think, but be open because I may get here and it's like, oh my God, I need this wine for this event tomorrow. I ordered it, but the truck broke down and my rep said that they're out. You know, you kind of always have to have that plan B or just be nimble enough. I think it's the word or agile enough to kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, solve in the moment. I really, I'm not saying this because I'm in this industry. I just think people really underestimate how resilient and solution oriented people who work in restaurants are. It's how we see the world. I mean, that is what we do all day long. (laughs) Mm, I love that. I'm going to quote that and I'm going to write that down. Solution oriented. One of my obsessions um, and one of my missions with this podcast is the concept of transferable skills 
that people in the hospitality industry have. And specifically talking more the front of the house, of course, the kitchen and people who are, you know, reserved more to whether it's a bar or, you know, that bar beverage land is, there's some crossover, obviously, but I feel that you folks are, you know, more with us on display part of the show. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and those transferable skills, that's what I try to tell younger folks, you know, if you want to try this out or you're in a gap year or you're drawn to it in some way, you're going to learn so much. And nimble is a great word, agile, kind of being able to react to what is. You don't even necessarily know now what you know after working, you know, a summer or six months in a restaurant. But these people, you watch them change, you know, they've never yeah. worked in front and now they have a different confidence. They hold themselves differently. I mean, some do it for a week and say, forget it. It's not for me. And that's fine too. But yes, I agree. I, I always, I always say, I think everyone at some point in their life, no matter where they're going to be, what their goal is, they should be a server during brunch shifts. Ah, <laughs> yes that's the that's the service i want every human being mm. to do in their life a few times mm, that's so good 100 <laughs> percent. yes because we did talk about that that idea of you know instead of required uh military service since we do live in such a service economy now that you know to be a well-rounded human being that that working uh as a server is absolutely something you've got to do because there's nothing worse. You can tell a mile away somebody who's never worked in the hospitality or the service business. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's usually not not a pleasant scene. <laughs> so a couple questions we like to ask everybody. Is there something crazy that ever happened on the job? A funny story or a, you know, big uh, yeah big save of a dining room disaster or yeah yeah oh my god it's like honestly it's there's so many um <laughs> I mean I <laughs> I hate to say this I, I I think that I I so I also worked at Italy in Wall Trade Center yeah and um, that's again, another kind wild of, scene oh boy yeah uh so that's kind of similar to this and I think that the larger the, the space and venue by default the more humans you see a day more humans that you encounter, I think, you know, you see issues. I will say we've had, I, unfortunately, everything from people fainting on us. And, you know, one guy had a seizure and I had to get to help him. I mean, all sorts of stuff. When I was catering one day, one of the crew to take platters, we were transporting it to the city, not in a catering van. It was somebody's just regular passenger car. And I was adamant that I was like telling the guy who's driving, I was like, look, I want to sit in the back because I'm just a little concerned with how we have everything placed just driving over bumps and stuff. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm like, look, please. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. So of course, as we get there almost like 10 minutes away from the destination, one of the crew to tape platters just all fell out. It was like the dressing was over the car. So we basically had to sit there. We were running late. There was no parking because we were like in the Upper West Side. He went to go find a lot. I found a supermarket, thank goodness. So I had to go buy all the vegetables chop them up prepared thank god that i was able to like you know pivot in the moment thank god it wasn't anything that was prepared and hot because i think that would have been like oh my god right <laughs> literally i have to sit here and start from scratch to do this so yeah yeah it was wow. we found a solution but that's what i mean it was like it's showtime in that moment 
yes, of course you can panic get nervous, but it's like, these people were late. These people are waiting for us. They have guests coming to their holiday party. We have to produce this platter. <laughs> so what do you do? You figure it out. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> That's All it. right. So how about, is there a restaurant behavior and this could be of guests or it could be of, you know, people who work in the restaurant. Is there a restaurant behavior that you would like to see 86? Yes. Oh my God. That's a good one. I'm going to, I'm going to give you for each side. I think the first one for guests is letting, listening. I think it's a combo of both listening when the person at the table is speaking. And I say this because we have a very short window to gain people's attention, but I've also been at tables where you're talking and other people are talking. They're not listening to you. One is you know, you haven't seen each other. It's a table of eight people and you're trying to talk them through wine and two people are catching up on baby photos and you're sitting here talking and you're just like, oh boy, this is probably not a good time, but I'm going to power through this. And, or, you know, listening, like just kind of maybe saying, you know, just give us a moment to talk about this amongst ourselves and then have you come back. Because I think that there's a sense sometimes of, you know, I've seen servers be at table way longer than they should because they're still deliberating food, but won't let he or she walk away from the table. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, yep. oh my goodness. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you've got a chef ringing a bell telling you service. You've got to pick up food at the window and that person's like shifting legs because they're nervous and anxious. The other piece behavior that needs to be 86 is, I think, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but I think that there's a lot has shifted in the last three years for obvious reasons. And I think that there's a new school of, you know, restaurants don't have to be as toxic or chaotic or, you know, the world of, I think growing up in this, it was a little bit of a badge of honor that, well, I worked 12 doubles in a row and I'm coming right. back tomorrow for more. And like, look at me, I'm a tough guy or tough girl. Um, but I also think that that's translated to how some team members show up. I think that there's a certain lax Sometimes, I mean, I see servers not even looking towards their tables, like they're looking away. And I think just like not focusing in the moment at your floor and your mm. guests is kind of like defeats the purpose of the job, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I love that. I love that we're in this, you know, more relaxed, more 2.0 hospitality uh, world that we're living in. And I, I I'm wholeheartedly support all the the things that we, you know, are giving to people to say your health is important. You are important as a person. But sometimes I feel that, you know, that's starting to translate in the sense of perhaps the attitudes of how people show up to work. Yeah. Here, 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 here. Yeah. <laughs> who's kind of defaulted into the work. Yes. And there's just so much demand too. They're yeah. not stopping building restaurants and buildings with restaurants in them and amenity spaces. So we need people who can answer the call to provide this service. And so, you know, one of the things that we are hoping to do here in the podcast is get people to think about, you know, some of the beauty and the history and satisfaction that can be found in taking care of people in restaurants. So yeah, yeah. Great. On that note, since our job is taking care of people, what's something that you do to, as we say, soigne yourself to- uh, <laughs> Oh, so I love that, soigne yourself. I want that on a t-shirt. 
Yes. Okay. We'll do that. For season two, we'll have Swanee yes. yourself t-shirts. Um, I want that in fortune cookies. Uh, you know, have you swanyed yourself today? <laughs> and yay, thank I you. want that in a t-shirt. Yes, it's beautiful. Um, I'm so glad you like it. Yeah. So, you know, something that you do to refill your tank so you can have a good attitude to your job and your guests when you come back. Yeah, um, I'm going to say for me, it's movement. I, I learned just during the, the pandemic that just for me, the mental benefits of exercise, the physical ones are wonderful and welcomed as I, especially with age that, you know, things don't fit the same, but I think to me, it's the mental benefits that just how head clearing and mind clearing going for a run can be any form of, I think, intense exercise is good, just as good for the soul as it is the mind. I'm going to say cooking. Cooking for me is super therapeutic. I know for some people it is, it is a source of stress. For me, it is the opposite. There is such a Zen for me of having, you know, a good playlist, perhaps a, a glass of wine or, you know, my whatever drink of choice in the moment and just cooking and prepping and chopping. And I think to me, it's a wonderful thing. And then the third will be meditating, mm. meditating as much as possible in the morning, giving myself the time of, you know, I'm starting to realize that, you know, if you open your eyes and you go right to work, you're telling the world, the universe that, you know, other, those things are priority. I think how you wake up and end the day are really, really important. Mm. Oh, this you is know? good, Maddie, because I have definitely meditated in the past and I feel like it's calling me, but I'm having challenging challenges getting started. Do you have an app that you use or if I could ask. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so believe it or not, I know this is going to sound super crazy, yeah. but I've learned, I have a friend who's a spiritual healer. I, I will give you his information. He's wonderful, but there's like some like actual like breathing and, and just visualization practices he's given me. It's mm -hmm. probably all in all a 10 minute thing. So I have to just in order to like, not, you know, deep, like distract myself. I basically go into another room. I get out mm -hmm. of bed. I have to go into another room to focus on these exercises. I have them in my phone. I put the do not disturb. So no other like notifications pop up. I do the exercise and it's a combo or either one of the other. And Spotify, there's a bunch of affirmation channels. Mm. So while I shower and get ready, I'm in the bathroom. I have that playing on in the background. Oh. And it's like, you know, listening to someone say, repeat after me, I am wonderful. And I can take anything today brings. And literally you're in the moment of doing things and you find yourself either saying it mentally or out loud, it does something to your brain. It does. Mm -hmm. It rewires certain things, you know? I love that. Yes. And also at least if nothing else, when you're hearing those affirmations, maybe you're not hearing whatever other stuff might be going on in your brain, you know, if it can drown exactly. something affirming. Right. And be Exactly. And because I'm human, I will be so honest with you and tell you that I want to do this seven days a week, 365 days a year, yeah. but I get about four to five mm -hmm. that I'm, you know, constant. So that's really just kind of being okay and trying to take each day to just say, okay, this is it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, I'm so appreciative that you shared that with us because I, I keep hearing it from so many people that I admire and so many people that are you know, super busy and managing so much and still kind of not losing themselves completely, which is really, really hard. So thanks for being another kind of blip on the radar saying, start meditating. Yeah, right. I think that's a sign now. <laughs> You've heard it X it. amount of times. <laughs> Definitely.
All right, so just a couple other things before I let you go back to work and I get ready to go to work. Is there any pinch me moment that you've had on the job? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I would say probably two that stick out for me. The first one being when I worked at the one hotel for the Reboot of Jams with Jonathan Waxman. He oh. had a table of all of like, you know, he's a big presence on the Food Network. I remember it was like the first two months. I started the the job, I think like maybe a week or two after it had opened and it was bustling and busy. And I think I literally remember taking care of every single Food Network star there is to take care of. And it was just, especially one day, it was like, you know, Aaron Sanchez, Mark Murphy. It was like a table of all of these guys that you just go, oh my God, I see you on TV and I admire you. And like, here you are in person and Gail and Alex Cornishelli. I mean, just, yeah, the list goes on. Mm. Fantastic. That's so cool. That's so cool. And on that note of people you admire, could you share with us a front of the house person, either a maitre d' or a psalm or somebody that you've run into or worked with who you particularly admire and what is it about them that you kind of look up to? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm going to say there's so many, and I think at every restaurant, I think we all find our Buddha or a sage. I think that even in the darkest of moments, I think that if there's a common thread to every single restaurant is finding the one person, you know, whether they be behind the bar, or, you know, that does become that person of, with the advice. But for me, one of the people that I, I admire from the wine side in this industry, Lee Campbell, and throughout her career, you know, she's been a, a voice and a maven for natural wines. She worked wholesale. She worked on the restaurant side of things. She was the beverage director for Andrew Tarlow's restaurants for a while. She's now moved on to work in the Virginia wine scene, which is having a beautiful moment right now. People, you know, in natural wine. But yeah, Campbell was one of the earlier people in my career. Also, I'm going to say my current boss, Stacey. She comes with a lot of Michelin star experience. Stacey Lasbergato, just super, super wise, but just a person who has an insane amount of like business savviness. Because sometimes I think that, you know, I've worked with people who have either strength in one or the other, but to kind of work with somebody who's super structured in one area, but also has a really nice sense of just calming and soothing energy. That's like, look, you know, it's not brain surgery. We're not putting out fires here. That's like a really awesome combo as well. Beautiful. Thank you. Oh, well, maybe I'll be lucky enough to get those ladies on the podcast sometime. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Well, it has been so great to talk to you, Maddie. And as I said at the beginning, I really hope that we can get together again sometime soon. And we have to include our friend Andrea and keep talking about all this stuff that we care about. Yeah. Yeah. What an honor. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Have a great night tonight. You too. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Maitre D Diaries is edited and produced by Erica Cantley. Conrad Lonsdale Knudsen is our assistant editor, and Chris Cantley is our designer and advisor. The theme music is by Yiriai Semshishin.